War and Peace, Book Two, Chapter Twelve, read for LibriVox.org by Corrie Samuel. At the levee, Prince Andrew stood among the Austrian officers as he had been told to, and the Emperor Francis merely looked fixedly into his face and just nodded to him with his long head. But after it was over, the adjutant he had seen the previous day ceremoniously informed Bolkonsky that the Emperor desired to give him an audience. The Emperor Francis received him standing in the middle of the room. Before the conversation began, Prince Andrew was struck by the fact that the Emperor seemed confused and blushed as if not knowing what to say. "'Tell me, when did the battle begin?' he asked hurriedly. Prince Andrew replied. Then followed other questions just as simple. Was Kutuzov well? When had he left Krems? And so on. The Emperor spoke as if his sole aim were to put a given number of questions. The answers to these questions, as was only too evident, did not interest him. "'At what o'clock did the battle begin?' asked the Emperor. "'I cannot inform your Majesty at what o'clock the battle began at the front, but at Durenstein, where I was, our attack began after five in the afternoon,' replied Bolkonsky, growing more animated, and expecting that he would have a chance to give a reliable account, which he had ready in his mind, of all he knew and had seen. But the Emperor smiled, and interrupted him. "'How many miles?' "'From where to where, Your Majesty?' "'From Durenstein to Krems.' Three and a half miles, Your Majesty.' "'The French have abandoned the left bank?' According to the scouts, the last of them crossed on rafts during the night. Is there sufficient forage in Krems? Forage has not been supplied to the extent— The Emperor interrupted him. At what o'clock was General Schmidt killed? At seven o'clock, I believe. At seven o'clock? It's sad, very sad. The Emperor thanked Prince Andrew and bowed. Prince Andrew withdrew, and was immediately surrounded by courtiers on all sides. Everywhere he saw friendly looks and heard friendly words. Yesterday's adjutant reproached him for not having stayed at the palace, and offered him his own house. The Minister of War came up, and congratulated him on the Maria Theresa Order of the Third Grade, which the Emperor was conferring on him. The Empress's Chamberlain invited him to see Her Majesty. The Archduchess also wished to see him. He did not know whom to answer, and for a few seconds collected his thoughts. Then the Russian ambassador took him by the shoulder, led him to the window, and began to talk to him. Contrary to Bilibin's forecast, the news he had brought was joyfully received. A thanksgiving service was arranged, Kutuzov was awarded the Grand Cross of Maria Theresa, and the whole army received rewards. Bolkonsky was invited everywhere and had to spend the whole morning calling on the principal Austrian dignitaries. Between four and five in the afternoon, having made all his calls, he was returning to Bilibin's house, thinking out a letter to his father about the battle, and his visit to Brunn. At the door he found a vehicle half full of luggage. Franz, Bilibin's man, was dragging a portmanteau with some difficulty out of the front door. Before returning to Bilibin's, Prince Andrew had gone to a bookshop, to provide himself with some books for the campaign, and had spent some time in the shop. "'What is it?' he asked. "'Oh, Your Excellency,' said Franz, with difficulty rolling the portmanteau into the vehicle. "'We are to move on still farther. The scoundrel is again at our heels.' "'Eh? What?' asked Prince Andrew. Bilibin came out to meet him. 
his usually calm face showed excitement. "'There now, confess that this is delightful,' said he. "'This affair of the Thabor Bridge at Vienna, they have crossed without striking a blow.' Prince Andrew could not understand. "'But where do you come from, to not know what every coachman in the town knows?' "'I come from the Archduchesses. I heard nothing there.' "'And you didn't see that everybody is packing up?' "'I did not. What is it all about?' inquired Prince Andrew impatiently. "'What's it all about? Why, the French have crossed the bridge that Ausberg was defending, and the bridge was not blown up, so that Murat is now rushing along the road to Brunn, and will be here in a day or two. "'What? Here? But why did they not blow up the bridge if it was mined?' "'That is what I ask you. No one, not even Bonaparte, knows why.' Bolkonsky shrugged his shoulders. "'But if the bridge is crossed, it means that the army too is lost. It will be cut off,' said he. "'That's just it,' answered Bilibin. "'Listen. The French entered Vienna, as I told you. Very well. Next day, which was yesterday, those gentlemen, Monsieur le Marchaux, the marshals, Murat, Lannes, and Belliard, mount and ride the bridge. Observe that all three are Gascons. Gentlemen, says one of them, you know that the Thabor Bridge is mined, and doubly mined, and that there are menacing fortifications at its head, and an army of fifteen thousand men has been ordered to blow up the bridge, and not let us cross. But it will please our sovereign, the Emperor Napoleon, if we take this bridge. So let us three go and take it. Yes, let's, say the others. And off they go, and take the bridge, cross it, and now with their whole army are on this side of the Danube, marching on us, you, and your lines of communication. Stop jesting, said Prince Andrew sadly and seriously. This news grieved him, and yet he was pleased. As soon as he learned that the Russian army was in such a hopeless situation, it occurred to him that it was he who was destined to lead it out of this position that here was the Toulon that would lift him from the ranks of obscure officers and offer him the first step to fame. Listening to Bilibin, he was already imagining how, on reaching the army, he would give an opinion at the war council, which would be the only one that could save the army, and how he alone would be entrusted with the executing of the plan. "'Stop this jesting,' he said. "'I am not jesting,' Bilibin went on. "'Nothing is truer or sadder.' These gentlemen ride on to the bridge alone, and wave white handkerchiefs. They assure the officer on duty that they, the marshals, are on their way to negotiate with Prince Ausberg. He lets them enter the tête de pont bridgehead. They spin him a thousand gasconades, saying that the war is over, that the Emperor Francis is arranging a meeting with Bonaparte, that they desire to see Prince Ausberg, and so on. The officer sends for Ausberg. These gentlemen embrace the officers, crack jokes, sit on the cannon and meanwhile a French battalion gets to the bridge unobserved, flings the bags of incendiary material into the water, and approaches the tête de pont. At length appears the lieutenant-general, our dear Prince Ausberg von Morton himself. Dearest foe, flower of the Austrian army, hero of the Turkish wars, hostilities are ended, we can shake one another's hand. The Emperor Napoleon burns with impatience to make Prince Ausberg's acquaintance. In a word, those gentlemen, Gascons indeed, so bewildered him with fine words, and he is so flattered by his rapidly established intimacy with the French marshals, and so dazzled by the sight of Murat's mantle and ostrich plumes, qu'il n'y voit que de faux, et oublié celui 
qu'il devait faire faire seul l'ennemi. That their fire gets into his eyes, and he forgets that he ought to be firing at the enemy. In spite of the animation of his speech, Bilibin did not forget to pause after this mot to give time for its due appreciation. The French battalion rushes to the bridgehead, spikes the guns, and the bridge is taken. But what is best of all, he went on, his excitement subsiding under the delightful interest of his own story, is that the sergeant in charge of the cannon, which was to give the signal to fire the mines and blow up the bridge, this sergeant, seeing that the French troops were running on to the bridge, was about to fire, but Lannes stayed his hand. The sergeant, who was evidently wiser than his general, goes up to Ausberg and says, Prince, you are being deceived, here are the French. Murat, seeing that all is lost if the sergeant is allowed to speak, turns to Ausberg with feigned astonishment. He is a true Gascon, and says, I don't recognize the world-famous Austrian discipline, if you allow a subordinate to address you like that. It was a stroke of genius. Prince Ausberg feels his dignity at stake, and orders the sergeant to be arrested. Come, you must own that this affair of the Thabor Bridge is delightful. It is not exactly stupidity, nor rascality. It may be treachery, said Prince Andrew, vividly imagining the grey overcoats, wounds, the smoke of gunpowder, the sounds of firing, and the glory that awaited him. Not that either. That puts the court in too bad a light, replied Bilibin. It's not treachery, nor rascality, nor stupidity. It is just as at Ulm. It is— He seemed to be trying to find the right expression. C'est, c'est du mac. Nous sommes mac. It is, it is a bit of a mac. We are macked. He concluded, feeling that he had produced a good epigram, a fresh one that would be repeated. His hitherto puckered brow became smooth as a sign of pleasure, and with a slight smile he began to examine his nails. "'Where are you off to?' he said suddenly to Prince Andrew, who had risen and was going towards his room. "'I'm going away.' "'Where to?' "'To the army.' "'But you meant to stay another two days.' "'But now I am off at once.' And Prince Andrew, after giving directions about his departure, went to his room. "'Do you know, mon cher,' said Bilibin, following him, "'I have been thinking about you. Why are you going?' and in proof of the conclusiveness of his opinion all the wrinkles vanished from his face. Prince Andrew looked inquiringly at him, and gave no reply. "'Why are you going? I know you think it is your duty to gallop back to the army now that it is in danger. I understand that. Mon cher, it is heroism.' "'Not at all,' said Prince Andrew. "'But as you are a philosopher, be a consistent one. Look at the other side of the question.' and you will see that your duty, on the contrary, is to take care of yourself. Leave it to those who are no longer fit for anything else. You have not been ordered to return, and have not been dismissed from here. Therefore you can stay and go with us wherever our ill-luck takes us. They say we are going to Olmutz, and Olmutz is a very decent town. You and I will travel comfortably in my calèche." "'Do stop joking, Bilibin,' cried Bolkonsky. "'I'm speaking sincerely as a friend.' Consider. Where and why are you going, when you might remain here? You were faced by one of two things, and the skin over his left temple puckered. Either you will not reach your regiment before peace is concluded, or you will share defeat and disgrace with Kutuzov's whole army. 
and Bilibin unwrinkled his temple, feeling that the dilemma was insoluble. "'I cannot argue about it,' replied Prince Andrew coldly. But he thought, "'I am going to save the army.' "'My dear fellow, you are a hero,' said Bilibin. End of chapter 12 This recording is in the public domain.